Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You just knew it was going to be fullbacks who invented the offside. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Welcome to Pint of Football, the nation's drunkest football podcast. I am here with two of the UK's most joyless groundhoppers. Tearing down your flag because it spoils his view of some scaffolding in Chichester, it's Daz Napton. (laughs) And carrying a dog-eared bag for life bag filled to the brim with damp scotch eggs and hatred for his fellow man, it's Andy Baxter. <laughs> Pants on the lawn. It's very topical, isn't it? This um, with non-league day coming up. That's what we go for. I like it. And with you, as always, on my nine hundred and sixty-fourth ground and my second divorce, I am Tom Meadowcroft. And no, the grandkids don't visit. <laughs> oh, good old groundhoppers! What will we do without them? I suppose we'll never find out. We still haven't come across any references yet to groundhoppers, and we've made it all the way to the mid-1920s. Very much a peripheral um, figure in football history, to be fair. Mm, Good. (laughs) (laughs) How did people used to do it before the sort of social media age and, you know, when everyone was advertising what games were on? Did you just have to sort of gamble? Spreadsheets. Spreadsheets. What was it? The non-league paper, obviously, was still coming out back then. So I, I guess people would just look to see what's going on next weekend and then get the locomotive steam train there. To be fair to the old boys, it must have been um, way more of an ordeal. Yeah, but so much more fun as well, because there's 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 a probably a 0% chance you'd come across other groundhoppers. You'd probably usually be the only one there, especially like, you know, think back to Fantastic. the 80s. You know, you're up at the crack of dawn, do a bit of train spotting while you're there in the morning at the station, get to generic town and just see all the pubs as well. 
I think I think my mother um frequently compares me to a train hopper, which I find very upsetting. Yeah. <laughs> well, it is true, but let's not let's not give that subject any more of our valuable time, shall we not? Because it is, after all, the twenty-fifth episode of In the Mix. Um, obviously, Tom, we've we've as well as doing football strangest stories, we've been doing some other weird things with interesting stories from every country in the world. In the mix actually started off as a Daz versus Tom, stupidly named Eleven battle back in the day, about a year ago, I think that was. So we've done some miles by this point, and we found out some weird things. Most of which we forgot. <laughs> yeah, I hope you. I hope you're not expecting me to like reminisce there. <laughs> no, definitely not. Let's just get straight on with it because you probably remember at the end of the last episode, I left you both on a cliffhanger because we just about ran out of time before the next story of 1925, oh, yeah. the start of the new year in London. And the next story, as we search through to find strangest stories of time, is experimenting with the rules. Oh. <laughs> oh. I mean, I feel like this has been touched on in other stories, but sort of accidentally. I mean, I think we have already... I'm sure we haven't yet come across the introduction of subs, although it's been mentioned a few times... Obviously, we've seen many a team fall foul of the no-sub rule because there's just been so many incidents of people dying and getting the squits and all sorts of stuff. Um, but then also, the offside rule, I think, is in place, but not really sure. Generally frowned upon. <laughs> there's something. There was something about penalties and, not, and having the D-line painted so that players had to stay in that area to take the spot kick. There's been a few Never rules talking about the D-line before. <laughs> I thought you were trying to roll out a, I thought you were trying to roll out a new nickname. What's wrong with the D-line? <laughs> yeah, from now on I want to be called the D-line. <laughs> There's nothing Why wrong. Why do they call you the D-line, Tom? Don't worry about it. So yeah, I think we probably don't know enough about the current rules at the time in 1925 to comment on all the experiments. (laughs) Well, yeah, you you don't even know the difference between left and right. So, (laughs) 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 well, let's not get onto that topic right now. That's, that's a whole other podcast. We're going to find out what the FA was thinking back in 1925. The Football Association sensed that the offside law needed a radical overhaul Again, I'm not really sure what the current offside rule is, but I can't imagine it can be that much different to what it is now. What 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 yeah, made I mean, it how, so? How radically can you change it? Yeah, I'm not really well, sure. I suppose, I suppose we'll see. We'll, we'll find see. out. We'll find out because Ivan Shah, writing in Forty Years of Football, credits or perhaps discredits Morley and Montgomery, who were Notts County fullbacks during just before the world war and they were apparently the two lads who invented the offside you just knew it was going to be fullbacks who invented the offside <laughs> uh, yeah yeah 
I mean, yeah, if you think back to Roy Keane, often he almost describes them as subhuman characters, the fullbacks, doesn't he? So yeah, he doesn't um doesn't really value them or their contribution. Well, if they invented offside, then yeah, I kind of get it. Bill McCracken, who <laughs> dare I guess may have been related to everyone's favorite primary school joke character, Phil McCracken. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, uh, it's a good name, isn't it? It's still a good name, is Phil McCracken. But no, this was his brother, Bill. Newcastle United's Irish international fullback took the idea and decided to develop it further. I love that. Back then, a player could just decide they were going to change the whole of the game's rules to suit them a bit more. Yeah. Well, I mean, when... When football first started like being sort of codified and stuff, everyone was playing a very slightly different version of it from like the the next lot. Yeah. It took it took absolutely ages for people to agree. Yeah, I think that's why apparently the FA Cup is obviously seen as the greatest and most significant cup competition in the whole of the world. Cause I think basically that was the first national meeting of clubs wasn't it so all of a sudden they'd have to go right these are the actual rules but you still had fullbacks popping up all over the shop trying to change them which you were smart enough you could make an argument that like the western league and the premier league since var is fundamentally a different fundamentally different sports different sort of codes Anyway, yeah, because also, sorry. yeah, yeah, there's also, isn't there as well, like the sin bin in non-league as well. So I think there are oh, still, yeah. there is still an element of that, but it's more of a pyramid-based I've only ever seen changes. that in, like, the fucking second tier of the Dorset Premier League, and it, it, it doesn't work if you don't have, like, <laughs> a fourth official, because no one keeps tabs on it. And then other people get sin bin because they're just yelling... It's a way of spreading violence, really, but we're happy uh, with that. It's, rug, it's rugby perversion, and it's got no place in football. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Back to this. In McCracken's heyday, the later 1900s and early 1910s, the offside law demanded three players goal side of the attacker. Oh, okay. So I can see where the radical change is. Because at the moment it's two, isn't it? Because you have to include the yeah. goalkeeper, is it? Yeah, it's yeah, two, right. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Two fullbacks with strategic minds like McCracken and Frank Hudspeth would combine to catch out players, apparently. Okay, so I think the fullbacks were working in collusion to run forward at the exact moment and catch a striker offside. But surely that can still happen anyway, because there's only one person who would have to do that. Well, Probably. it's just a sort of very basic offside trap, isn't it, back then? The beginnings of that. I just don't see why they would change the whole rules just because these two lads were doing it. Unless they were like Usain Bolt and his mate and just sprinting halfway up the pitch in three seconds and just leaving all the opposition out there. Yeah, I'm not sure about this yet, but maybe we'll find out a bit more. As McCracken described it later... It was putting players offside rather than waiting to get offside. So I guess, yeah, it's more of a, just a thinking thing, isn't it? The thinking of a striker is must stay onside 
Whereas they, as defenders, were thinking, let's put them offside. Hmm, fair enough. When Newcastle played Notts County, the game would be wedged in a 20-yard section in the middle of the pitch with both teams hoping to spring the offside traps. Ah, so this is this is what the problem was. Basically, everyone was stood so high up the pitch that basically every time it was kicked forward, it was offside. Yeah, fine. You can see why it was changed. I can that, see. But, you know, without meaning to sort of dismiss this era of football, I don't imagine it was as athletic as it is now. So I imagine players making that much of an effort to come back onside wasn't really a thing either. So if you kicked it towards them and they were offside, it was like, oh, well, uh, this yeah. again. Do you remember, like, in um, the, the Ball is Round by David Goldblatt, which is like a sort of in-depth history of early football, there's like one chapter which is like, oh yeah, um, Burnley like start were one of the first teams after people stopped handling the ball in play to like think about actually sort of passing, <laughs> and th- and therefore they won the league. Because <laughs> what used to happen is like you just hoof it, and like you'd only have about you'd only have two defenders, and then everyone else would just be in the box, mm. and then if you got the ball, you went for goal. Yeah, I just tried to take everyone out, and then like that, that, I don't know that sounds it was, great. To be fair, it seems like in like in to our modern ears, it seems unlikely that it would be Burnley, Burnley. But like, yeah, some team was like, "Hang on, if we pass it to each other, we don't all have to like run ourselves ragged." Very easy, yeah. very obvious uh, tactical realizations in this day and age make a huge difference. But Morley and Montgomery's methods were then being replicated across the leagues. Free kicks became plentiful, scoring more difficult, and of course, entertainment was therefore limited because it was basically free kick, offside. Opposition free kick, offside. Free kick, offside for about 90 minutes. It was generally agreed that something should be done to make the offside law fairer to forwards. Here we are. January the 25th, 1925, the FA took advantage of the fact that several clubs had been knocked out of the FA Cup and had a blank Saturday, which therefore meant we got a famous weekend of experimental games. Oh, yes. Experimental games. I really think, especially in the non-leagues, rather than having your non-league day, I think they should just bring back experimental Saturdays. Yeah, it'd be a bumper crowds, wouldn't they? Oh, like multi-ball and stuff. No offsides. Go back to the pre-handball days, pre-crossbar days. Bring it all back. Not short Tuesday. <laughs> so what were these experiments? The game at Highbury, friendly between Arsenal and Chelsea, captured the spirit of the experiments. In the first half a line was drawn 40 yards from each goal, limiting the area in which players could be offside. So you could only be offside in the final 40 yards of the pitch rather than everyone just standing on halfway and waiting for it to happen, I guess. Makes sense. In the second half, the referee enforced a rule reducing the number of defenders needed between the player of the ball and the goal from three to two. 
there was only one offside decision in the whole game. However, there was still only one goal. <laughs> but that, that's not necessarily to say it's to do with the change of rule, I guess. It's probably just because it was Arsenal and Chelsea. There were a few other experiments, which I'll briefly talk about in a minute. But when asked, the, the referee from Croydon, Mr. Todman, when he was asked about the... <laughs> <laughs> You're laughing at that. You're laughing at Todman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we used to have a guy in, in, in our village called Bob Todd. And it was just... Oh, that's just, good. He was just like some sort of nursery rhyme character. I can't remember the whole song, but my dad started this song and it was like, Bob Todd, he was a sod. And I can't remember the rest of it, but it was a really good one. Or Bob Todd. Bob Todd. He used to always walk around with a little egg basket. With your dad just yelling at him. <laughs> you sod. <laughs> just shouting you sod every time he walks past. What did so, I do? So anyway, forget Todd, it's Todd Man. He said, from his point of view, it was a pleasure not needing to blow his whistle so much. That's about all he had to He's say a very about it. Man. Yeah. Yeah, there's one thing he enjoys, and it's not over whistling. There were several, several other trial games that day. Clapton versus Wolves, Charlton versus Luton, and Norwich against Cambridge Uni, and an amateur game between the West Riding and Staffordshire, where the 40-yard line was deemed a success and one observer wondered whether the halfway line was even needed. <laughs> Do we need the halfway line? <laughs> no, I suppose not. I mean, I Get guess I've never really thought of that before. So, Would it have been better to have two 40-yard lines and then just a little, almost like a penalty spot in the middle for the kickoff? For the centre. Well, you guys went to the ice hockey, didn't you? They don't have a halfway line, do they? Or do uh, they? I don't have a fucking clue what's going on in ice hockey. <laughs> <laughs> so, even... But nowadays, you can be offside from halfway onwards, can't you, still? I suppose it's worth having, then. That's the takeaway from this. We should keep the... We're all in favour of the halfway line. <laughs> yeah, keep the halfway line. But, yeah, agreed that... I think, like... If you if we're if we're taking cues from ice hockey, what you need to do is just make the game completely mystifying to any casual fans, because mm. then you don't get people complaining about the rules like you do with football. Because the problem with football is it's basically quite easy to understand, yeah. Unless you're me, so every yeah. time they change something, that people are like, "New." No! Yeah, I suppose that doesn't happen in ice hockey because no one really no. fully gets it. And like a lot of a lot of it seems to be up to kind of debate on it anyway. Like, I don't understand why someone clocking someone over the head is like a two-game ban, but other times it's like, oh, just you guys just sit down for a minute and then you're all good to come back on. But then again, football, because of its simplicity, does also have all those arguments and therefore is probably a much more let's go to the pub afterwards and argue or discuss it type of sport. Whereas ice hockey, as we saw when we went, Tom, everyone at the end just goes for a Burger King and drives home. Simplicity and arguments is is just the football or way. Mayhem and burgers. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now that you've put it like that, 
I think Mayhem and Burgers is definitely the winner. But we haven't got any Mayhem and Burgers here. We've got the end of this story. Perhaps the most pertinent comments were those of Mr Pilch, the referee at Norwich, who was quoted in the Athletic News. If two defenders instead of three govern the operation of the offside law, football will be, fast, football will be faster and a tremendous amount more interesting. I feel absolutely confident that suggested alteration will make the game much more interesting for spectators. We must take things as they are, not as we would like them to be. And I think... Quite philosophic from Mr Pilch. Yeah. For, for kind of a guy that he finds it boring at the moment, despite presumably spending a lot of his life trying to work out rules and whatnot. So this game's fucking boring at the moment. I'll tell you what, lads. <laughs> Mr. Pilch, to be fair, when you're from Norwich, there's probably not much better going on than trying to work the rules out of football, is there, sir? 1920s Norwich, yeah. It's a bit... <laughs> Christ, yeah. If you could pick a place and a time in history not to visit, <laughs> it's 1920s Norwich. <laughs> there go the <laughs> Norfolk listeners. <laughs> they haven't got internet. Oh, <laughs> oh wow. An interesting story, probably not peak football, but we're trying to dig our way through the ups and downs, the hits and misses, the weird, spectacular, strange, and sometimes just rule changes of the game, which it definitely yeah, takes that off. That one. Oh, God, yeah. That, that's definitely in his top 10 stories, I think. Oh, I suppose that one's quite important, if not that interesting, as in funny, but... It's probably quite important because it sort of gives us the game that we have today. Yeah. I don't know. Is that boring? I don't get it. I guess I guess it's a strange match in terms of it was just an experimental match chucked into a football schedule rather than it being like, here's some rules we've been working on. They've just decided these lads have been knocked out of the cup. Ultimately, they've been knocked out of the cup. The punishment is we're now going to mess around with your weekend off. And make you yeah. all these different rule changes we've thought of. But it worked. And we're going to move on to another striking-based one. So we've got Strikers Against Police, which takes place in Plymouth in May 1926. Well, we've already had a story like this. It's probably going to be somewhat similar, apart from the one I think we had before was the Miners. And I think it was more of a, I think it ended in violence, didn't it? Whereas, yeah, know, they, forced them to, they forced them to go and play, didn't they? Because they came and like smashed the windows of their houses and stuff because they were refusing to go to work or something. Yeah, I think you're right. So, yeah, let's see. Unless by strikers, it means a bunch of centre forwards, perhaps. Yeah. Maybe we're about to be thrown off the scent by Wardy. Probably not. <laughs> I don't even know if there is a scent to throw us off with Wardy. It seems strange that striking trade unionists would play the police at soccer on the day of the most intense conflict in history. Yet such a match occurred in Plymouth during the 1926 general strike. So yeah, mm. it's definitely not. A bunch of centre forwards, it's actual strikers. 
A crowd of over 10,000 saw the strikers win by two goals to one. The policemen had their work cut out on and off the field. Strange that he's, he's told us the score straight away. He's got no pacing. That's his problem. He's got no pacing. He's got no patience. He's, he's just, he's all over the shop, isn't he? Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Industrial unrest among northern coal miners had spread to other industries and services. The effects reached Plymouth later than most towns but the outcome was devastating. At the end of the first week in May, the general strike was a week old and the Western Morning News and Mercury was talking of a state bordering on civil war. Nice. Bit of civil war. You, you don't see enough of that anymore, really, do you? Would you think somewhat like Cornwall should secede or, or Yorkshire or something like that? Someone should, shouldn't they? Maybe maybe Norfolk. Probably, I think more people in Yorkshire think they should secede than people in Cornwall. And Cornwall have actually got like an actual claim to it. Football is all very well in normal circumstances, and there is no reason why policemen and workmen should not play. But conditions today are not normal, and a match between policemen and strikers is, at the very least, strange. That's what the Western morning news had to say about the event. Oh, I thought that was I thought that was Wardy trying to shoot on the title of the booking. This quote here just says, "This is one of football's strangest stories." <laughs> <laughs> the events of the Saturday confirmed some people's worst fears. Tramway employers tempted fate by resuming a modified service using volunteers and inspectors to replace the 800 workers who were on strike. Goodness me. That, that's a bold move, isn't it? That is a bold move. Not going to come into work, are you? Fine. I'll get you retired dad to come and do it. I mean... Yeah, who's, doing, who, who's volunteering for that? Yeah. Going to get your dad to scab on you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but apparently that's what was going on. There's no, no loyalty down in Devon, apparently. Confrontation and chaos was the result of this. During Good. the morning... Crowds gathered in the town centre to prevent the trams passing. So you've got these old naked pensioners who haven't been on a tram car for several years since retiring, and now all of a sudden they've got to like mow all these protesters down. <laughs> this is what I mean. You just don't get it's enough like of the old this days, stuff boys, anymore. mowing them down. By eleven thirty, 
that Saturday morning, there were around 4,000 people doing their best to block the trams. Amidst the jostling, a few stones smashed tram car windows. Mm. About 20 or 30 policemen charged the crowd, wielding batons, but it did not prevent the continued harassment of the tram cars. Ironically, this happened just before the soccer match was due to start at home park. So basically, all these people who were, I'm guessing the tram is literally just trying to get everyone to the game. To the game, yeah. 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 I wonder if it was the police, the police officers who were playing. Uh, yeah, they had the, I guess. their batons, you know, with yeah. their kids. Once again, the police and the strikers were on opposite sides, both on and off the pitch. Yeah, yeah, we've already had that analogy, Wardy. The tramway team scored <laughs> midway through the first half, and a wave of enthusiasm greeted this first, dare I say it, strike of the game. Here he goes. Come on. <laughs> Loving the pun. Loving the pun, Ward. Another ironic touch came at half time when the music was provided by the tramway band. Oh my God. So they're on strike. Nice. And little did they know that half of the guys had already booked it off work to be in the halftime band for their own protest match. <laughs> when the second half started, large sections of the crowd followed the band off the pitch and out of the stadium. By the time the strikers scored their second goal, 10 minutes from the end, the tramway band was leading a procession of people four by four walking along the tram lines to ensure no cars could pass. And then there's just a sentence which says, there were more ugly scenes, which sounds like the line that you always get in Roy Keane's autobiography, which says there might have been some pushing and shoving. It's very much along <laughs> those lines, isn't it? Don't really remember. There might have been some pushing and shoving. The next there thing I knew, we were on the floor covered in blood. <laughs> there might have been ugly scenes between what the thousands of people stopping the trams and the police who were trying to get them out of the way. I'm sure there was. Mounted police were called in to deal with a 20,000 crowd in Old Town Street. Only three arrests were made, but the tram car service was withdrawn and the likelihood of pitched battle averted. The next week, the strike was called off, leaving the Plymouth strikers with a 100% record on the soccer pitch. That same month also took place a match between Sheffield police and the strikers up there as well. So it was obviously a recurring thing that was going on. Yeah, pretty organised of the striking people then. Organised yeah. labour. <laughs> yeah. Well, indeed, yeah. Was I mean it was definitely better than the Welsh miners strike match, but is it is it peak football yet? Nah, no. nah. I I also enjoyed that the Wardy just sort of threw away that line. There could have been more ugly scenes, or whatever. I didn't feel it necessary to expand on that as ever. Nah, it could he have did. been. Make your own minds up. He's just speculating, isn't he? He's put two and two together. He's seen there's a strike and he just wanted to make it a bit tasty. The fact there was only three arrests, he was probably a bit disappointed with the outcome of the physical violence. So he just thought, I'll just chuck this line in just to try and, you know, give it a bit of flavour. Three arrests is probably quite low for a football match at that time. Mm. So I think we've got time 
for a third and final story, mainly because it's a short one and it has something in there that I really want you to hear. Is it the Cheeky Girls? It's about two plucky young women from Transylvania (laughs) who work their way into the hearts of... It is not Uh, about the Cheeky Girls. Sadly. Is it about this time they went and did a, a hokey on a farmyard? No, it is it is not about that. What it is about is well, the title tells you exactly what it's about. There's no imagination needed for this one. It is amateurs versus professionals. We go up to Manchester in October 1926. Sorry, just one second. Wasn't the last game amateurs against professionals? Oh, no, they were just workers, weren't they? They weren't striking footballers. Sorry, my bad. The line was a bit more blurred in those days. So here we go. This sounds... I've just, just before I started reading it, just to make sure I got it right, this sounds like I'm about to start reading a recipe book here now. Wardy's gone full. He's changed up his style a bit for the start of this one. Take a team of professionals familiar with each other's play. Include five England internationals. Then pick a team of assorted amateur players. Now, play the amateurs against the professionals. Sounds like he's making so sultry. I like it. Yeah. Boil them for an hour. (laughs) What are you boiling the professionals or the amateurs? Boil everyone. (laughs) Grind them all in. Yeah. Wardy asked the important question, and I'm going to ask you the the same question. Obviously, I know the answer already. Who would win? Well, you like to think the professionals, but it depends. Were they just phoning it in that day? Would they not be bothered? You know. Plum, who's your money on? The Mighty Ducks. You're right. It was the amateurs, of course. On five occasions during the 1920s, the professionals played against the amateurs for the FA Charity Shield. So this is originally what the Charity Shield was. Ah, that's the thing I recognise. Probably a bit derogatory nowadays. Is it the FA Cup winners who get to play against the champions? Yeah. But basically then it used to be amateurs who used to play in this and now it's the FA Cup winners. It's treated like a major honour on Wikipedia, which always annoys me. Yeah, I think it's same with like the European Super Cup, which obviously, granted, does sound like an amazing thing to win, but it is still the same sort of, still a pre-season cup, really, isn't it? And you'll get teams, I was just going to say, you get teams like Chelsea who they'll say, oh, we've already won a double and we're only two weeks into the season. It's like, yeah, grow up. Like, um... I understand and I do actually quite like the idea of the Club World Cup because, you know, maybe once in like 500 years, someone from, you know, Central America or Asia might beat South America and Europe. And it's good that they've got the chance to try. Mm. But also, it's pretty bloody unlikely. And also... I've never seen a single match of it. Is it even on telly? Used to be. It used to be on Channel 5. Yeah, I think the problem with it is that 
it's always going to be the European team versus the South American team in the final. I think that if they were to make it a round robin with all six teams, it'd actually be quite a good laugh because you'd be the team from Tahiti playing Chelsea regardless. And I want to see Chelsea versus Gamborough soccer. Well, that's what I mean. It's a bit pointless because Chelsea don't come into it or whoever's won the Champions League doesn't come into it till the semi-finals. So there's already like only two possibilities for them. They're either going to beat the champions of Asia and play the South Americans in the final or they're going to suffer embarrassment and go out, which never happens. In 2020, it was Bayern Munich versus UANL from uh, Mexico. That's pretty good. That's that's about as diverse as it gets. The South Americans didn't make it. The North or Central Americans did make it. Yeah. Sadly, that is about as diverse as it gets. If it was around Robin... Real Madrid versus uh, Kashima Antlers from Japan in 2016. Why are we talking about World Club World Cup? Yeah. <laughs> you started it. What happened? <laughs> Back to the FA Charity Shield. It was soccer's equivalent of the Gentleman Players Cricket Match, which I've never heard of. Have you ever heard of it? I'm guessing it's just Sounds the same gentlemanly. thing. Just a load of amateurs turning up and playing the prize, isn't it? There were some who said that the professionals played these midweek games with their minds on the weekend football league programme, but there was certainly pride at stake. So they used to just chuck it in midweek during the heavy professional schedule, I guess to give the amateurs more of a chance. But ultimately, yeah, it's pride that's at stake. And in the 1926 team... There were internationals such as Tom McGee from West Brom, David Jack from Bolton, Bill Rawlings from Southampton. I'm sure you know all of these as I'm reciting them. Household names. (laughs) Joe Smith from Bolton and Fred Tunstall from Sheffield United. The team was selected from the FA party, which had toured Canada in the close season. So it's, yeah, it's, it's the big boys, the internationals, they're in. Professionals scored three goals that afternoon at Main Road in Manchester, but in between Rawlings second in the 30th minute and Tunstall's in the last, the amazing amateurs hit half a dozen. And this, this is where, this is where it really starts to get going. Edgar Cale, a full international years and years ago, scored the first. He's like a Dulwich Hamlet legend, isn't he? I'm not sure. He might be. But speaking of legends, the next goal scorer in the game was Wilfred Minter. Yeah! He's back and he's he's on the score sheet. Of course he is. He scores goals as Wilf. For the second week in a row, travelling through the history of time, we've come across Wilfred Minter and his goal-scoring feat. What a guy. Minty touch. Legends. (laughs) Macy hit the next two, the second from 25 yards. Minter then scored another, and the sixth was an own goal. The amateurs won 6 3. Short story, a short story, but a sweet story, and made even more sweet by a Wilfred Minter brace. Wilf the Delph. Oh, yeah, that again. Need to get a flag made of that for the next. (laughs) 
<laughs> for the next ground we, we go we on. A, we should get a flag that's like an, an England flag, but just like four faces. And one of them should be Nate Blister. One of them should be Wilf. That one picture of him where he looks really sad. Uh, who else? Cheeky girls. <laughs> the cheeky girls. <laughs> okay, well, we're back on the cheeky girls. Um, I was kind of looking at their Wikipedia throughout most of this. Do you want to know what their second album was called? Stop touching my bum. I thought we'd already guessed this. <laughs> In my mind, it's a different world. A cheeky one. Ooh. <laughs> not, not the catchiest. <laughs> no, that, that's not for me. Baxter, that's please. Baxter, please take us to better... <laughs> Better climate somewhere else. Yeah, maybe somewhere. Anywhere. Maybe somewhere um, that's more cyber based. Yeah, somewhere cyber based indeed. We can go straight to Rayal Bedford, where we have sad news. What? It seems gone bankrupt the... already. No, but it seems the the public haven't taken them to heart as much as the owner Peter McCormack would have you believe, and the 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 club's Twitter seems to have just turned into an ordinary football club lower league Twitter. It's got pictures of players and mentions of the games and, you know, things like that. It's, it's very nondescript, unfortunately. It's all gone quiet um, over there. It, it has all gone quiet over there, so I scrolled back as far as... Because I thought, you know, fair enough, this is just a match day and focusing on the football this episode... This, uh, this this day, but you get quite far back, and there's nothing, no sort of nonsense, no worldwide fan clubs, no sort of grand plans, nothing. So then I went on Peter, who's the owner's um, Twitter, his personal one, to see if there was any clues. And I think he's used his status, which I use in the loosest term possible, to air his political views and. Twitter being Twitter, he's sort of taken both barrels off people. And he's an Arsenal fan and he's tweeting about um, Israel and Palestine situation over there. And he's subsequently been labelled an anti-Semite because, you know, with one tweet he's talking about the situation over there and then another one he's talking about Arsenal and disliking Tottenham and people are putting two and two together and making about ten. And... Um, He's now thrown his hand in altogether and said, sod it, I'm deleting Twitter. Until they are bought that, out by the cheeky... I do think that by the cheeky girls, that would be great. Maybe when, maybe when Wild's done with Rovers, he, we can have a go with the cheeky girls. Just just renames them Cheeky Bedford. <laughs> I, think we should, I, I think we should clip that bit out. <laughs> oh, unless you're suggesting... Are you suggesting Whale buys the cheeky girls or the cheeky girls buy Rovers? The, the Cheeky Girls by Rovers. I think Wales should try and get their pop career back on track. I do think that, like, I'm not, not I'm not really for or against cryptocurrency, but it does do does seem to do something to people's brains. Because the other day, Elon Musk was threatening um, Vladimir Putin to hand-to-hand combat on Twitter. Yeah, I'm not sure about any of that. I think the most sensible thing is just get this guy out Rename the club Cheeky Bedford and get back on a level playing field. <laughs> Forget any of this sour cryptocurrency thing ever happened. 
that's my advice to any Bedford fans listening in. Do you reckon we'll be able to mine any more content out of Real Bedford, or do you reckon they're just a regular team now? I'll, I'll keep checking in with them. I mean, because people who are that active on Twitter, when they say they're packing in, they tend to just cool off for a day or two and then back. So mm-hmm. somewhat sheepishly. So maybe by the time we do another one of these, if I check, then um, you know, we might we might have come back. We'll see. We need to lighten the mood back up. So back over to Tom and his co-colleagues for a cheeky joke. Co-colleagues. Are you trying to imply that the cheeky girls are here with me? I can see them. Because you would be absolutely correct. <laughs> they clearly sat behind you, feeding you this gold. Gabriella and Monica are here with us. Hello, Tom, Daz, Baxter. We are from Transylvania. I say, I say, I say, I used to be addicted to soap. But I'm clean now. <laughs> ah, ah, ah. It's a perfect day for a fun full night. Boys are cool and the girls feel right. Let's go into the barn and dance. Come with us and take a chance. Left leg in, left leg out. In, out, in, out. You shake it all about. You do the fun Podcast Network.